Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hi, I'm Bronson Royal, and this Memorial Day weekend, I'm going to hit a home run. Would you believe a double? And Ross is. Oh, my goodness. A Royal puts a charge into one. How about that? Long ball. All right, Bronson Arroyo makes start number 327 in his major league career. There's strike three call. Pierre fan three times. Got him to chase that one, and that's a strikeout. Oh, he went around on the appeal to Wally Bill. How about that seventh inning for Arroyo? Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. to noon on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. Cycling back and forth from Neil Young's rocking in the free world to Bronson Arroyo's rocking in the free world. I think that's from 2017 at a Boston radio station, WAAF, that our producer Sean Anderson found. And we appreciate the time for Bronson Arroyo this Sunday morning on Hit and Run as he joins us on the Alpamani Ford hotline, Alpamani Ford in Melrose Park. Good morning, Bronson. How are you? I'm good, Matt. How you doing, bro? I'm good, man. That that song is uh, incredibly satisfying to play and sing and feel on a stage, isn't it? I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, the chords are really... It's just Neil. Some people have that like magic to just put some very simple chords and very simple melody together and have it pack an emotional wallop even bigger than the sum of its parts. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's, it's what makes songwriting so frustrating is you look at a guy like him or you look at Tom Petty and you go, come on, man, I've been playing these same four chords forever. How are you guys making magic out of it? Oh, it's so true. Those guys, Jeff Tweedy from Wilco is another one. Like, it's just... What are you doing? There's an elegance and a simplicity to it. We we should be better at it by now, you know? Absolutely. Uh, uh, what what are you doing musically these days? We'll talk plenty of baseball, but I know that, that you and your band have played some shows, and you were preparing to, to do some stuff before the pandemic hit, right? Yeah, before the pandemic, well, we, we canceled some shows um, around the Cincinnati area and some later in the summer up in New England. I'm sure getting canceled as well, but... Um, 
I also had was in the midst of making an original record out in Los Angeles with guys who always play the hot stove cool music that you've been a part of forever. And um, I was we're probably 60, 70% done with that record. And I was supposed to go out in April and try to button up the, the, the end part of that, the, the rest of the details. And uh, they got squashed. So uh, yeah. just kind of sitting on the stuff now and just waiting to see what happens. Yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah, Clint, right? Your guy Clint, is, was he a part of that? That... Yeah, absolutely. It's Clint. it's Clint Walsh, Eric Gardner playing drums, Ed Velasquez, mm-hmm. who you know well, playing bass, and oh, yeah. um, and Jamie Aronson from Miley Cyrus's band and uh, American Hi-Fi. Yeah, so it's it's kind of the the core group of guys that I met back when I was a Red Sox and um, started going to shows that they were playing, whether they were playing, you know, in American Hi-Fi or if they were playing with Miley or whatever. Just over the years, they were playing in Narles Barkley. You know, Josh Klinghoffer was also in that crew. Um, playing with the Chili Peppers. So, you know, I've been hanging with those guys for the last 15, 20 years, and uh, we always said we were going to make an original record. And so this is just the sum of those parts being brought together. That's awesome, man. Well, well good luck. I, I, I know that'll get done when uh, when things open back up, and hope that's satisfying. It's, um, it, it's, it's daunting to try and do, but, man, it feels good to do it. Whether anybody reacts to it or not is sort of, is sort of beside the point. Um, sure, but, absolutely. Uh, Right, but I'm wishing you well with that. How, how's life where you are, man? Are you feeling safe? You feeling sane? These are uh, these are odd moments in uh, American history right now. Yeah, it's been it's been a little strange, but I've always I've always been a guy who could entertain myself. So um, you know, even when I was a young kid, I mean, I could spend hours in my room and just invent stuff to to uh, whether it was you know something uh, physical where you're seeing how many times you could you know, whatever it is, you know been a top and make it laugh whatever it is man i could find ways to, to have a challenge and so i've been riding an electric bike around town a bunch of been playing golf a lot i've been doing a lot of things by myself but um you know learning to cook a little bit more and just paying attention to your plants and gardening a little bit more just just uh i've been enjoying the quiet time to be honest with you because you know um i'm on the go a lot i say yes to a lot of charity events i say yes to just a lot of things in general. And so it's been a little bit of a relief actually just to not have a lot of people be able to call me and say, Hey, do you want to come do this event? So, uh, I've been enjoying myself really. It's, um, that's a skill right there to entertain yourself, to make, my mom used to say, make fun out of bleep, um, make fun out of crap like that. And that's <laughs> right. She, she, right. I mean, that's, that, that's what we got to do. You got to try and find a way to invent that. You've always had that though. That's what you're saying. Like you as a kid and you as you as a player and just you as a dude, anytime I've interacted with you, there's it's it. Optimism is, uh, optimism is a skill, isn't it? It's like, it, it it's Absolutely. practical when you can do it, but it is. It, it it is a skill. It's it's hard out here for an optimist right now, though. Have you? It sounds like you've been able to maintain a little bit. Yeah, it's been. Yeah, I've always been a. Well, you know, I, I grew I grew up a bit strange that some people might know these stories, but I was in the weight room as five and six year old as a kid with my father who was lifting really heavy weight. Him and his friends were, you know, they were squatting in the mid six hundreds and benching four and five hundred pounds, and I was in the weight room doing this stuff with him you know, from the time I was five and six all the way through high school. And, and uh, the whole time he was, he was the ultimate optimist and it was always the glass half full, regardless of what was going on. I'm, and I mean, anything I'm talking about two dudes coming to your house with a machine gun, right? Like my father thought he could pull that off no matter what. And so it was, um, you know, it was just kind of built into the machine. And so I, I think I was probably a little bit that way by nature as, as well, but he also was just kind of driving that home. So 
I would, you know, in all circumstances, I've always been able to find kind of the silver lining. And it seems so easy for me. It's just naturally where my brain kind of goes. So when I hear mm-hmm. other people talk about how it is that they're thinking of, of negative things and how it is that, you know, every, at every situation they're looking and they're fearful and they're, you know, angst-ridden, um, I just don't feel that. I think, I think it was why I also could pitch for as long as I did with a limited skill set and be able to survive because my, my mind was working in a different way than most of the guys out there. Well, now that's fascinating, isn't it? Because yeah, your, your, your fastball was what? 85 to 89 is what wiki says. I don't know what's real about Wikipedia. That's about right. I, I probably, I, I'd say that I probably threw, I threw 87 to 89 was where I would live during a ball game in most of my career. Mm. But what I remember is the curveball from multiple arm angles and and multiple release points and the ability to do that and kind of jostle back and forth, man. On 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 a good day, Bronson, watching you toy with people was freaking joyful. And it's interesting to hear you make the connection between that that optimism or that ability to find the good and the game. That there are entire mental skills departments that are devoted to helping ball players make that sort of connection. It sounds like it came kind of naturally to you along the way. Yeah, it was it was definitely easier, and I, I I didn't realize what was going on. I mean, I I knew that I was you know picking people apart strategically, and I knew I was putting things in place, but I didn't realize how hard it was for other people until the game evolved to the point where you know therapists and psychologists were coming in to our arena, into our our locker room, and speaking with us, and 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 observe the conversations they were having with other people, and inevitably I would have these conversations with these guys, and and they would pick up really quickly that I was kind of operating a little differently than most. And so then we would get to have conversations almost as if we were equals. And we would talk about why it is that, you know, 80% of the thoughts going through most people's minds are from a negative standpoint and why it is that athletes can be so physically good. and can go out on the field and be terrified inside, even a guy who's playing, you know, I mean, even hall of fame players and you, and you hear it all the time. If you, if you watch, you know, anything from a 30, 30 for 30 or a behind the music mm-hmm. or anything. You just have people who are extraordinary talking about, you know, being Barbara Streisand, who's terrified to walk out on the stage, even though she has one of the greatest voices that ever existed. Right. And so um, for me, it just, it, it came a lot easier and it, it allowed me to navigate kind of and put aside some of the things that just impede our progress in the game. I was out there free. I was pitching, and that's what you got to see, which was, you know, changing speeds on these breaking balls and throwing an inside changeup on a 3-1 count on a righty-righty matchup to a guy like Albert Pujols, which no one in the world would think about throwing that pitch. But for me, I wasn't fearful of it because I was just looking for an out. I wasn't really cared. I didn't really care about what other people thought about, you know, how bad that looked. Like, why would he throw a 3-1 inside changeup to a righty? But, you know, I was looking for a ground ball third base, and it, and it seemed to work in the past, and I would just – let it fly, and I also didn't second-guess myself after the fact. If I got beat on something, I, I, it was not even there in my mind afterwards. It was literally once I made the decision to push the button on that pitch, I threw it, and I lived with the results um, you know, with a smile on my face. Wow. So, so here's the question. We're talking with Bronson Arroyo on Hit and Run. Is that stuff teachable? Did you ever see – I mean, I think it is because I believe in personal, you know, um, personal evolution. I believe that we can better ourselves and work on ourselves, you know. But is it teachable for ball players? Do you ever have, did you ever have a teammate where you saw, oh, wait a minute, that guy, he relaxed a little bit. He figured it out along the way. Yeah, I think it is teachable. I, I, th- I think the way that, that you do it is you slowly have to make people's 
brains work in a different way. You've got to open up their eyes to things they weren't looking for. So we all kind of operate under, I think, one MO all the time, right? We, we kind of do things in a certain way, and you have to just make people aware that there's other options out there. And so if you can see these subtleties, maybe um, whether it's, you know, when you hear, hear people talking about, you know, even just standing on the mound and looking at a blade of grass and taking a deep breath, and trying to imagine that there's no one in the stadium or whatever it is that gets you to that point. But if you can just turn their brain on for those things, I think you can pick up enough of those small pieces and it's going to be a slow evolution, but you're going to, I think you can work um, towards a better goal, but it's, it's definitely going to be putting it down step by step by step and just making people aware of things they're just not aware of. Bronson, my, uh, my brother, who's uh, nine years older and just a huge Red Sox fan, sent the whole family a picture the other day of David Ortiz and Manny Ramirez hanging out together. I think it was in Florida as part of a hitting clinic or something. And I didn't recognize Manny. Manny has lost, I think, a lot of weight. He's lost a lot of dreadlocks. Um, his hair is is white and puffy a little bit on the sides, but that smile and the smile of both those guys. And I want to ask you about Manny, because as you talk about not caring what the outcome will be, right? As you talk about, you know, an ability to just kind of stay positive. It always seemed to me that Manny had a a near freakish ability to, to be unaffected and to spit on an outside slider with two strikes and a huge moment in the eighth inning. It's like, how does he not swing at that? But there, there's, there was something special about his approach to, uh, to pressure, wasn't there? Yeah, and, you know, I think a lot of times, too, you know, we, we, I think we, we anoint people with um, sometimes attributes that maybe aren't necessarily true. Um, mm-hmm. So a guy like Greg Maddox was such a fantastic pitcher that he got anointed with stuff like being able to look at a guy in the on-deck circle and be able to pick him apart based on, some strange, very subtle things, you know, and some of that might be true and some of it might be you're just giving a guy a little bit more credit. And when Matt, what I saw from Manny was the fact that all those things you said were true, but I, I sized it up as that his eyes were so fantastic that he could spit on that slider because he was seeing the spin quicker than everybody else. And the reason mm-hmm. I say that was because we used to be in the locker room and he had this game that he would play before the game every day, um, during his pregame, there was one of our trainers who was, we would have basically like miniature hula hoops the size of, I'd say, bigger than a basketball, but not much. And they would have four plastic balls on the outside of it. And he would spin them. He would throw them at Manny and, and spin them. And it would just be like a blur. But the four balls were very similar. One would have a red stripe on it. One would have two red stripes. One would have one maybe red dot. and One would have nothing on it. He would throw it, and then he would call out the one that he wanted Manny to catch. And so he would spin it to him, Manny, he would go red dot, and Manny would find the red dot with his eyes as this thing is a blur spinning, and he'd catch it with his hand. And he could do it like eight out of ten times, and if he missed, he'd be right next to it. And I'd watch other guys like Ellis Burks or Todd Walker or anybody else in that locker room try to do that, and they had no chance to really identify the ball that was being called out. And so after I saw that, you realize that I think, you know, the eyes were so important to what he was being able to recognize at the plate and make those split-second decisions faster than everyone else. Oh, see, that's fascinating. And, yeah, consider me guilty for applying attributes to someone when I don't really perhaps understand even a game that I've covered and loved for so long. 
that 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 the basics. Yeah, it's vision. Ted Williams had 2010 vision. You know, like that. It's, it was just outrageous, and that's and that's what the game is for a hitter is for them to try and pick up the spin and see where it's going. And in that, what is it? That that three tenths of a second or what it, what it is when that when that ball's going by to pick it up. Is Manny is Manny one of the best eyes and one of the best skill sets as a hitter in that way that you've seen? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was, you know, Manny was a, Manny was a guy who just, he had, he had a great eye. He, he had, he had the trifecta of what you're looking for that doesn't come along very often, which is you have good eyes and plate discipline. You have power and you can hit for average, right? That means you're, yep. you're not, there's, there's a lot of guys who can hit for power, but they swing and miss a lot. And then there's a lot of guys who can hit for average, but they don't have that power. And then usually a guy who has a lot of power um, and ha- can't hit for average, doesn't have that much plate discipline, so he has a lot of strikeouts, you know, a guy like Adam Dunn. But you, you mix those three together, and that's where you come up with the Albert Pujols, the Barry Bonds, the Manny Ramirez, and those are the elite players in the game. And that's, you know, on the pitching side, it's the same way. You know, I was a guy who had, had good command but didn't have a lot of power, and, but I had, um, you know, a mind to pick people apart. Well, if you take that all the way up the chain, that's where you get Pedro Martinez, right? He's got feel, but he has stuff that I don't have, and he can pick you apart with his brain too. That's where you come up with elite. That's where you come up with Max Scherzer, you know. And it, it, it's it's very rare to have an athlete who just has all three of those to put the package together. It's it's great stuff. I was talking to Greg Maddox on this show, I guess, like a month ago, and he basically said the same thing about when you put it together. That and he and he said that's when you get Verlander. So same thing, right? It's like right. It's it's like guys who can. I'll never forget when I, whatever year it was, when Verlander, who could throw 98, 99, stopped doing it in the early innings. Like started throwing 93, 94, and then I remember him striking out Paul Konerko at a game I was at in the eighth inning, throwing 99. It was the first pitch he threw that hard all game. It's like, what is that? What is that level of of control? How do you know in your body? What what does it feel like to throw a fastball at 83 intentionally and then throw a fastball at 89 at full power? Yeah, it's, you know, it's that that's definitely, you know, that's the next level up of a, of a skill set. That's where I survived was the ability to change speeds, get outs with less, right? To get outs without max effort. And what a, mm-hmm. it's, it's what Verlander was trying to do, which is what Kirk Schilling did so well, is that you're going to go ahead and, and just concede the fact that you might give up a few extra hits early in the game. But as long as you're not in too much trouble, uh, I'm going to go ahead and conserve for later or crunch time when there's two guys on base and I got to get that strikeout. I'm also going to have less strikeouts, but that in turn is going to give me a less of a pitch count. So I'm going to now, I'm storing fuel through the first inning, the second inning, the third inning. So that way, when I get to the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth, if I can, I've still got my A stuff. You know, guys who are inexperienced, that can't control the emotion of the game, that allow the adrenaline to take over. Like I played with a guy named Edinson Volquez, and he started game one of the series against the Phillies in the playoffs the day that Roy Halladay threw the no-hitter against us. After the first inning, Edinson was dead in the water. He went out there, and he had just exerted every bit of energy he had. He threw every fastball as hard as he could. He, his adrenaline had spiked. He couldn't control it. He was not, you know, capable of doing that at that point in his career. And so, you know, he just, you know, you had nothing left. You, you're running the marathon, and after the first few miles, it was you were just gassed. And so, um, you know, that's why I also consider, you know, you talked about Greg Maddox. I've always considered him the greatest pitcher of all time. And why? Because he, he has won 355 games. He basically is in the top 10 
of anybody's list of greatest pitchers of all time. But if you look at the, the rest of that list, almost every single guy would have had dominant physical stuff, and he did not. Mm-hmm. He did not have power stuff. But he had command. He had the best command maybe of all time, an A-plus command, and he had A-plus savvy. You mix those two together, he didn't need the, the, uh, the third spoke on the wheel, which most everyone else would have needed to, to play at that high of a level, and he didn't, which is just extraordinary. Let me let me geek out with you for for a second here. There's this concept called effective velocity. Have you heard about that? Is that something that ever came your way? No. Oh yeah. So I mean, I'm sure you know it under a different way, and it's really just it's just a guy um, named Perry Husband who talks about how like when you throw a fastball at 87 high and tight, and then you throw um, a, a changeup low and away let's say, and then you come back with that fastball high and tight at 87, it doesn't seem like 87. It seems actually like 92 because they're comparing it to where their eyes went and where the changeup was and that speed, that if you do it in quick enough succession that you're really screwing up people's timing and and there's a science, there's a science applied to it. But that's that's the kind of stuff that you thought about all the time, right? Like I'm going to make this seem faster because of what I just did. Absolutely. I've heard the story. I don't know if it's true, but I'm sure it has some truth to it that that uh, Maddox was pitching in San Francisco. And I believe it was a playoff game and it was bases loaded. It was a two two count and the crowd was totally into it. They're playing on the road. You know, they're getting really uh, loud in the stadium and that he threw a fastball that missed like up and away or something like really bad. And just something that you knew he, he, he just almost wasn't even capable of throwing a, a ball that far out of the zone in that situation. Mm-hmm. And then he came back with a 3-2 changeup and that asked afterwards, you know, what was up with the, the fastball that you missed so hard with it? He said, I, I threw it up there. I knew he couldn't swing at it, but I knew that he wouldn't be able to stay back on the changeup on 3-2 with the crowd with that type of energy. So I literally just balked on that pitch on purpose to come back with the soft stuff. And just just playing on on emotion of the game and playing on adrenaline and playing on the moment. And, you know, those types of things all have an effect in the game, Um, just like you're talking about by speeding up your eyes. You know, you can do it if you, you know, if you drive your car at 100 miles an hour and then you slow down to 60, it feels like you're crawling. But if you drive at 35 and then you speed up to 60, it feels like you're really moving. And so it's all it's all perspective. And so pitching can be that same way where you can basically speed the bat up or slow it down based on their observations of the pitches before. Bronson Arroyo, uh, known for, among other things, the straight leg leg kick. Um, I, I, has anybody ever had one quite like that in MLB? I know Juan <laughs> Marichal. I'm sure people brought up Juan Marichal to you, the great long ago giant and Hall of Famer. But he had a little bit of a bend at the knee. Anybody ever right. pitch like you that you've seen? No, I don't think so. You know, and it wasn't it wasn't really my intent to to to, to do that either. That was my leg kick. That that was bore out of a very Juan Marichal type of leg kick that Dwight Gooden had in the mid '80s. And I was, um, you know, seven eight years old, 1985 86, and um, you know he was a stud with the Mets, and I watched him a lot, and that. That's just what my childhood mind kind of bore out of that. And, and I think over the years, uh, I had a little bit more bend in it back in the minor leagues. But as time went on, I got more relaxed with it. And I just realized that kind of flicking my foot and just getting it up there, it wasn't a strenuous thing. It was a way of picking up my leg very efficiently, right? Because you, as you get older and things start to hurt and you're trying to get deep in ball games and you're trying to throw 200 innings all the time, you're trying to find other ways to do that. And that's why a guy like Verlander would then change up his style to throw softer early in the game while I was trying to 
find a way to feel powerful on the mound, but also feel free and easy and not like you were stressing about getting um, that workload done. So um, my leg kick was just very relaxed, and I would just kind of flick my foot up, and I would have no idea that it was out near my head until you'd see it on in a photo. But, you know, for me, I had loose hamstrings, and it just came naturally, and it, did, it wasn't something that uh, – it was. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't hard. Yeah, Gooden was like the first, first young fireballer, young phenom that really kind of blew my mind wide open too. It was like, oh man, there's something about this guy. What is, what is this? Just, just outrageous. It, it, have, have you ever thought about being a pitching coach? If people asked you, you'd be fabulous at that. Yeah, yeah, I've been asked by the Reds, and I've been asked many a times if I if I wanted to be a pitching coach. But you know, and I think I. I would for sure. I mean, the, you know, the subtleties of, of playing the game and the ability to, to make young kids who these days all throw 95 to 100, but a lot of times they don't have an, any idea how to use it or they can't harness it, they can't throw strikes with it, you know, mm-hmm. to give them an idea of how to pitch outside the box like I did. And even if they're not capable of doing it my way, but maybe they could just take a little piece of it, would, would absolutely be gratifying. But it's also a very time-consuming thing, you know, uh, you know, it's almost year round. You're thinking about the game. You're, you're at the ballpark from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. It's really an obligation in your life just, just as much as being a player, if not a little bit more. And you're not really getting the, the ability to go out there and compete. And so, you know, it takes, it takes um, a certain type of person to want to do that. And for me, um, I, I just, you know, I was thinking about the game since I was a young kid on a level that most weren't uh, being in that weight room. And so I had had about 30 years plus of really grinding on baseball. And for me, I just That's didn't want to, <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to pick up a whole nother life's work. So I just, you know, I stop in and I try to help people one-on-one if they ask me about a very specific person, but I, I as far as giving myself to, to be a full-time coach, I don't think I'm ever going to do that. Yeah. You got other stuff you like to do. Bronson Arroyo makes music. He plays golf. He invents games in his bedroom to keep himself interested. <laughs> he, learns, <laughs> he learns how to cook. Absolutely. <laughs> no doubt. Last last night I'm riding my electric bike around town at two o'clock in the morning. Nobody else out. I'm like, this is beautiful uh, out here. All right. So, so I, I rode an electric bike once. Um, it was up at Lake Geneva in, in Wisconsin and yeah, I rented it and I was it. Now, I don't know if it's the same thing. Like an elect- this was a bicycle, but it was like assisted. So I was going up hills feeling like I am the greatest cyclist of all time. Is that is that what you're talking about? Or is this something that else? Is exactly what, that's exactly what I'm talking about. But mine, mine, you can pedal like that. It's called pedal assist. Or I, you could yes. just do it where you don't pedal at all. You could just actually have a throttle on mine. And so, yeah, I'm going up really steep inclines, still at like 13 miles an hour. And it's just, even if it's, I'm in Florida right now, and it's just sticky and kind of muggy and it's 80 degrees at midnight. And even then, you still feel just so, so cool out there with the, with the wind just blowing past you. You're not even hot. I almost had to put a jacket on just, I was actually a little chilly. But uh, it's, just a, it's just an enjoyable thing. It brings you back to being a kid. You know, there's, there's certain feelings you have as a kid that are hard to duplicate in, in um in adult life for some reason, right? It's like we, we, we lose the ability to really be fascinated by climbing a tree or something. And so, um, you know, when I find things like that, um, it's, not, it's nice to tap into them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm teaching my eight-year-old how to ride a bike right now. And just literally four days ago, he like went around the parking lot and made four turns all on his own. As he, and he stopped, he said, Daddy, that was actually really fun. I'm like, yes, there it is. Start to feel that, that wind is awesome. in face. Yeah, man. No it's, doubt. It's it, it's the greatest. Um, all right. Um, last thing, Bronson, and you're so generous with the time, and I appreciate it as always. You think it, 
They're gonna figure out the money stuff here. I mean, the health and safety protocols are more important and that's scary and that's daunting. But like organizations are getting ready. They're like, they're getting spring training ideas ready. Traveling secretaries are starting to do their work and think about what they're gonna have to do, all of that. Are, are, is, are the players um, and the players union gonna give a little? I, the owners have to give a lot, but I think the players are gonna have to give a little too. I, I hope they get it done this week. What's your feeling? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've been in, I've been in around those negotiations. You know, 1994, I was a junior in high school, didn't know anything about the union, didn't know how it worked. I could have been um, just like everyone else on the outside looking in, just going like, man, these greedy players, why don't they just get back to playing? You know, it's uh, but it's not it's not really the, it's it's not the way it is. I mean, the truth the truth of the matter is, the players are making a good good money, the owners are making great money, and mm-hmm. um, you know, they've already they've already said we'll play for prorated things prorated um, salaries and so it's a real sticking point you know you've got a new collective bargaining agreement coming up soon and we know from past experiences that if you open up a can of worms and you and you allow something in you rarely ever can put the lid back on that and you know by by having some sort of revenue sharing or you know somehow changing the structure of the way the game is being paid out and we fought so hard for that since the 1970s it's um you know, I just don't know if it's going to get done. Honestly, I don't know if it's going to get done unless the owners are just willing to pay the prorated um, salaries. Because if you know, if the owners, whatever the owners make above and beyond at the end of the year is not split amongst the players at all, right? So if if an owner makes whatever it is, let's say he makes a million dollars a year, he doesn't split any of that. But if he makes two hundred million, doesn't split any of that with the players either. Like we, we're basically a hired hand. We go in and we get paid. We get paid and that's it. You, mm-hmm. There's no bonuses on top of it. But now that they know revenues will be down, they want us to share in the losses, but they never share the gains. And so honestly, I, um, I find it hard to believe that the game's going to get going. I mean, I, that is a huge sticking point. That's the number one sticking point. Then, like you said, you, you mix in all the health stuff then you mix in just the fact of how are we actually going to play our guys like Max Scherzer, who are getting a little bit older in their career. I mean, you're going to want to go out there and pitch with no crowd, maybe in Arizona, you know, playing in stadiums that just feel like you're back in the rookie league. You know, it's, it's almost, it's getting to that point where if it doesn't get done here real fast, it's not going to be mm-hmm. worth playing the season. Yeah. It's scary, man. Like, look, I, I am definitely, I am pro player. And I think most people are these days because the billionaires are the ones who should you know, bear the brunt of this. And they have been making a tremendous amount of money, more than more of the percentage than they should for a lot of years. But at the same time, I know so many people taking pay cuts in radio, in business, in other things where like they they have no choice but to take pay cuts. These are kind of unprecedented right. times. So so I do feel like on a human level, if there was trust, I feel like they could talk about it together and maybe share in 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 the pain a little bit. But there's just there's not much trust there either. Absolutely. And absolutely. And that, and that, and that is, that's been, you know, that's precedent from, from old, you know, old things that have happened between both sides, you know, you never, you never seem to, you never seem to get on the same page because nobody's ever totally transparent. And and when you talk about that, usually it's the guy who's at the top who's the one who doesn't want to be transparent. So, you know, like you said, inherently there's some distrust there. I mean, I think, you know, the players, the players are, are not getting paid at all right now. Right, they're not they're not going to get any of their salaries if games don't get played. So, mm-hmm. in in a, in a lot of ways, that is 
taking a pay cut, right? Like you're not going to get a dollar if you don't play a game, right? If the whole season is ended, nobody's going to get paid anything. Not, not a minimum salary, nothing. So if a guy's mm-hmm. supposed to make 500000 he's going to get zero. And if he's supposed to make $30 million, he's going to get zero. So that in itself is taking a cut. But, you know, I think there's a chance maybe, maybe to get it done if they said, hey, guys, I'll tell you what, let's, let's do some sort of a formula where the top, the top whatever, top, you know, 20% of the league that's making the most money is going to take a 10% cut and then we'll slowly go down, 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 down to the guys who are making the minimum will be cut either none or almost none at all. But, but if, if you're going to go and say, hey, you know, Max Scherzer, you're supposed to make $30 million. You're now going to make 15 because the season's cut in half. You know, we want to chop that again in half to seven and a half, and then you're going to pay your taxes on it. That's going to be $4 million. It's like he's supposed to make 30 and now he's taking home four. Is it worth the risk of opening that can of worms? Is it worth the risk of playing games without the crowd there? Is it worth the risk – of getting the season started quick when now we've been off for so long that my arm might not be in the same shape it should be in and I might break down, which could affect my next contract, right? There's a lot of variables there. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's going to be a hard road. It's going to be a hard road, really, to get, to get it on track. Just one of the many reasons why it's hard out here for an optimist these days, Bronson. It's just <laughs> right. things, are, things, things are sticky, man. But uh, it's, it's great to talk to you. It's great to hear that... Uh, that you're doing that you're doing all right and um keep riding that bike keep keep connecting to those uh those childhood feelings that's the that's the good stuff right there yeah man well thanks for having me on again bro hey bronson anytime appreciate it very much good luck with everything stay safe stay sane and uh, we'll talk to you down the road all right later see you that's bronson royal man i love talking to that guy and yet i was hoping for optimism sean that's not what we got i don't know if you noticed no but it was real it was real it was very real and he has it's not just optimism he's got an ability to just kind of sit with the realness and be like okay well i guess um this is going to be tough and maybe we won't play and and that's that and that's that's its own thing um really really enjoyed the conversation if you did tell a friend it'll be available on the podcast on hit and run love talking to that guy jason hamill is going to be on the show the former cub the former royal Currently uh, works over at Marquee Sports Network. Going to talk to Jason at 11 o'clock. Chris Kampka at 11.40. When we come back, though, um, the debut of a brand new thing that me and Jason Benetti have put together for you, the White Sox play-by-play man, with some editing help by uh, Jack McMullen. So, and a theme song courtesy of Kurt Morrison of Tributosaurus and his daughters. That's all coming up next right here on 670 The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage 
to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Podcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sundays, 9 a.m. to noon. What is that music? Turn it up there, Sean. It's Pomp and Circumstance, uh, as played by my friend Kurt Morrison, the guitarist of Tributosaurus, on a fuzz bass a la Neil Young, and his two daughters are playing percussion. Turn it up real quick. One daughter is uh, banging on a trash can in their garage in Wisconsin, the other is using wrenches to hit a wall at an available lead pipe. I asked him to, to if he could throw together a, uh, a a solo guitar pomp and circumstance, and instead he gave me that kind of a Tom Waits post-apocalyptic pomp and circumstance. Um, as uh, as Jason Benetti referred to it, it sounds like steampunk graduation. <laughs> it's true. And the reason I did that is because me and Benetti launched a thing uh, that we were going to call Comp and Circumstance. And instead, we called it Good Comp, Bad Comp. Sort of an awkward moment to be making that um, veiled reference. Um, but anyway, Good Comp, Bad Comp. But I, I did not want to... I, I, I did not want to miss the opportunity of asking Kurt to give us a Comp and Circumstance. So that's what you got. And... This is the bit from me and Benetti. You can find it on my Twitter page. You can vote on a poll on my Twitter page um, that is attached to that about who got the comp right because scouts have been comparing ballplayers to ballplayers for a long time. But you know what? We need to go wider, broader, bigger, and better. Here is the debut of good comp, bad comp. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Good Comp, Bad Comp, a unique exercise in which we try to find the perfect comp and circumstance for a ball player of note. I'm Matt Spiegel. He's Jason Benetti. Just a couple of Major League Baseball play-by-play guys with a lot of time on our hands. Hey, Jay. What? what? You, you, yeah, we have a lot of time on our hands, but two Major League Baseball play-by-play guys? You, you, yep. did, you did one game. Nailed it. One. Nailed it in the spring. Guys, 
Guys, is one game enough to let him in the club? I have the whole club here. No. No? Oh, he's a nice guy, though. No. You're out. All right. Well, I'm glad you're all quarantined together. Um, anyway, uh, we have decided that scouts who've been comparing ball players to other ball players for so long have just had way too narrow a scope, right? Uh, Jason, they need to expand their minds and we're here to help. Yeah, it's not enough. It's not enough. Uh, you go to a game, you wear your hat, you put on your suntan lotion, you have the radar gun, and then you sit there and you say, who does this ball player remind me of as another ball player? It's, it's so thin. It's, it's just not creative enough. We have more out there that can help us find the best talent in baseball comparison-wise. I agree. Players to players is really old school. It's so money ball, you know? It's like the worlds of arts and culture are waiting for us. Um, in a few minutes, we're going to let the viewers vote on who had the good comp and the bad comp. But first, let's introduce today's ball player. Jason, tell everyone about our guy. It is Big Sexy himself. I don't know why I did a Bill Curtis impersonation. It is Big Sexy himself. <laughs> Bartolo Colon, the lovable, affable, well-traveled Bartolo Colon. Um, age aside with Bartolo Colon, the man has accomplished 247 wins. That's 50th all-time. He won the Cy Young, made four all-star teams, pitched in seven postseasons between 1998 and 2015. He's amazing. I mean, 2003, he shows up at the White Sox after a run with the Indians where he was hated. Uh, as a Sox fan, you didn't want to see him pitch against the Sox. Then he comes back to the Sox in 2009. He's beloved for two years with the Sox and what the haul was for him in that trade. You get El Duque, among others, after he was there in 2003 the first time. So he's loved, he's hated, he's welcomed, he's shunned. He's been through everything. He's a wonderful guy to start with. I'll go first, Jason. Mike comp for Bartolo Colon is the painter Pablo Picasso. Now, when Picasso started, he was all fire and fury, much like a young and Finn Cologne who could hit 100 on the gun. And along the way, Picasso reinvented himself a lot. The blue period, the rose period, neoclassicism, surrealism. He eventually could paint in several different styles, as many styles as Cologne had fastballs. Later years, Cologne would throw like 84% fastballs, but they were all different kinds. He could throw any fastball at any point in the count. And Picasso said that his ability to paint in so many styles was based on objectively choosing which technique fit his desired effect the best. And that sounds like cologne with multiple fastballs to me. Um, Picasso, most noted for, among other things, being the father of cubism. Objects were broken apart, reassembled in abstract form, often inspired by the geometry of the cube. And I ask you, Jason Benetti, has any ball player in the history of our game resembled a cube more than Bartolo Cologne? I think not. This is a good case. It's a strong case. I have to say, I'm proud of you. I'm really happy for you. Uh, it's, it's a great walk-off until mine shows up. Um, and I think you have to admit that you're going to hear it and you're going to say, absolutely. I can't believe I never thought of it. Right when I say that Bartolo Colon is best compared to the McDonald's Shamrock Shake. And here's why. Uh, Bartolo Colon has made $117 million playing baseball. The Shamrock Shake since 1970 uh, has sold about 60 million of it at about $2 a pop, depending on size, depending on when you bought it. 
that's roughly $120 million. Consistent as heck. You mentioned Bartolo Colon has been around for so long. So consistent. So is the Shamrock Shake, but it's lost its fastball a little bit. Once you have one, you kind of know what you're getting into. The thing about the evolution of Bartolo Colon that you had mentioned as well, you know, he comes up, he's got the 100-mile-an-hour fastball, but he's changed as a pitcher, and so has the, the Shamrock Shake. It started with lemon-lime sherbet, and then it just became a green-colored vanilla shake, and now it's a mint shake. I mean, it's morphed. It's transitioned like Bartolo. Polo. Uh, it's available seasonally, starting production in February, ramping up in March, like a Bartolo Colon when he was playing baseball, starting spring training and ramp up to March. Uh, third time through the order, Bartolo struggled in 2018, a 319 batting average against. Uh, you wouldn't want a third Shamrock Shake either. I don't, I don't think, think, unless unless something else is going on there. And then Bartolo Colon had that one home run against the Padres, and it was this celebration. But you derive the pleasure from how limited the availability of his home runs. And that's the same with the Shamrock Shake. It's March, and that's it. So Bartolo Colon, to me, is, Bartolo is a Shamrock Shake. Easy, slam dunk, Shamrock Shake, Bartolo Colon. And then you can vote. You can vote, people, on, uh, on, on the Twitter poll. And, and last I looked, Sean, have you seen – and I got to figure out, like, this is, this is a moment in, in time here, people. I learned how to do a Twitter poll for the first time. Aren't I grown up? You know? Very, very exciting to learn uh, how to do that. And I have to also then learn how to consolidate a Twitter poll because Jason did one, too, on his page – I guess the way to consolidate two polls, uh, see if you can follow along with me here, Sean, is to add the votes together. Would that be the way to do it? Yeah, so you got a, you have 132 votes, and 65.2% yeah. of them side with Benetti. So you'll have to do okay. 65.2% times 132, and then have to do the same for Benetti. Oh, see, but I don't really have I mean, I could just take – oh, right, I get it, yes. See, this is why I paid attention in algebra for moments like this. Um, and yet, I don't even know if this is algebra we end up talking about. It is, because I'll do like the two, the, the, uh, the, they're not fractions, but you know, like uh, 65 is to 132 as 35 is to, what, you know what I mean. You know, that, that whole thing where you do the equation. That's what it is. I was told there'd be no math. Do I sound qualified to be in the negotiations between the owners and the ball players? Absolutely not. Does, right? Come on, man. <laughs> Look, there's more stuff going on um, uh, over on the Marquee website at uh, MarqueeSportsNetwork.com. They have started a bracket for the Ultimate Cubs lineup tournament. And you probably remember this thing. I put together an Ultimate Cubs lineup a couple of weeks ago. It was a very fun exercise because it was different. The rules were very unique. The rules are it could be any player that ever suited up for the Cubs. And it's not based on their career with the Cubs only, but it's based on their overall career. But as long as they suited up, you could use them. And then you get their entire stats and performance from the whole thing. So, for instance, I have Lou Brock leading off. Not because of his two years with the Cubs, um, but I have him leading off because I need a speed guy in my lineup. I've got Rizzo as my first baseman. I have Andre Dawson in right field over Sosa because character matters to me, and I don't want Sosa to just leave the game early. Um, perhaps most controversially, I have David Ross as my catcher because I want my team. It's one game. The exercise is we've got one game to win. I want my team to have an emotional rock like David Ross on the bench in the seventh and eighth innings. That's right. 
And no, I never saw Gabby Hartnett play. I'm aware of his stats, and he's a Hall of Famer. I know. It's my team. I can do what I want. And then you can vote. Um, you know, you make, make your difference at the polls. Um, there's a bracket there, and there's 16 contributors who are all in for the matchups, and they begin tomorrow. Here's, here's an, insult, an insult. I had to play in a play-in game. Sean, they made me get in a play-in game just to get into the 16-team bracket. I had to beat Ryan Sweeney in a play-in game. What kind of crap is that? Don't they know who I am? Who's Ryan Sweeney? (laughs) It's a former ball player, Ryan Sweeney. You don't know who Ryan Sweeney is? No, I don't remember Ryan Sweeney. But you, So Ryan Sweeney, a former ball player, had to play a play-in game, but Bruce didn't? (laughs) Why did you have to play a play-in game and Bruce didn't? Dude, I, you must be unaware of the respect that Bruce has given over at Marquee and in the business entirely. I mean, Bruce is is a big hitter at Marquee. He's taking on Cole Wright in one of the brackets. Len Casper is taking on Jim Deshays in another one of the first-round matchups. Carlos Pena versus Mark DeRosa. Here's what I love about DeRosa. He put himself on his team. <laughs> he made himself the bench player on his own team. Oh, God, that's awesome. Um, and then uh, Rick Sutcliffe against Ryan Dempster, okay? Uh, and then I'm going up against Glanville. It's me versus Glanville. He's got Kiki Kyler hitting leadoff. That's a win. Sorry. He's got Fergie Jenkins on the mound. He's good. I've got Maddox. Maddox is going to shut down that team. Uh, he does have Sammy Sosa instead of Dawson. He does have Gabby Hartnett. So here it is. You know what's going to happen? They're going to simulate it all on Stratomatic. They're going to use Stratomatic and simulate this stuff. Glanville's going to win on a Gabby Hartnett walk-off, isn't he? (laughs) Jerk. But I love that Doug Glanville, friend of the show, Doug Glanville, is in. I, um, I told him on Twitter, you're going down, Glanville, if the simulation agrees. And he tweeted back, I welcome the challenge as long as we agree on a good soundtrack. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's most important, Doug. I agree. That is absolutely most important. Did they have uh, Hamill do one of these? Jason Hamill? I'm looking over here. I don't see. Yeah. I don't think ha- Hamill yeah. didn't, but uh, Hamill's, Hamill faced off in some trivia against Sean Marshall, Marshall, and Marshall had one, but Marshall had to go up against Pete McMurray in a play-in game. And he won. He won his play-in game. And now Sean Marshall goes up against George Will. <laughs> Man pandemic has created some programming hell you just heard good comp bad comp and now i'm telling you about the ultimate lineup bracket over at marquee sports network oh god so much fun we must have fun we must spread love and spread some joy and spread some levity um years ago at a hot stove cool music i had a task to do i was assigned a task by Len Casper, which was that when we were about to play the Chicago All-Stars at the Metro, we were about to play Jay Giles' band's version of Love Stinks. We were playing Love our own Stinks. version. That's it. My job was to find a former Cub or current Cub or somebody to do the spoken word portion of Love Stinks. And one of the guys I ended up getting to do it is going to join us next. But the story of who I asked and how it evolved and how it went is a fun one. So I'll tell you that story, and we will talk to Jason Hamill next, right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. 
Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.